And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, your host. I've got a great show planned for you, just for you today. Patrick Albany is going to be joining me in just a minute. We always like to get the week started with a little bit of levity and uh, kind of look at what happened over the weekend and what's happening this week. And then in the uh, Monday afternoon mix, we'll be here. Pastor David Miles will be joining me. And then Vince Miller will be in uh, hour two. So it's going to be a great show. So Patrick, as you know, <clears throat> is a friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa and the uh, prestigious city of West Des Moines. Patrick, welcome. Thank you. I don't, uh, we have a spectacular day here. Don't know about you. Up in your neck of the woods, it is a gorgeous day, which really increases. It just It's a better, I'm in a better mood. And, you know, it's like the weatherman this morning said, you know, dress for the 70s. So I've got a leisure suit on and some bell bottoms. <laughs> I thought that that was smart idea. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what that had to do with the temperature, but okay. Yeah. Did you paste yes. out a little mustache too? I, <laughs> yes. I, uh, my wife looks at the old pictures of me with the mustache and, uh, she's seen those. Don't, don't even, don't even, don't ever <laughs> not just no. <laughs> I got to say, I got to side with her. It's not, it was not a good look. Yeah. I, I have, uh, an old passport photo that, uh, you know, if ever I need to be knocked down a peg or two, <laughs> that's the picture you you trot. That's that that little picture of me with the mustache and the I don't know who I was trying to be, but it, apparently one of the big hair bands. <laughs> did, did you think back then though that you looked good? That's the concern. I was pretty convinced that with the members-only jacket, the mustache, that you were looking cool. The slightly flared out. Uh, denims that uh, I was checking all the boxes of cool. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I checked checked every box. Yeah. This is one cool looking cat. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, of course, it's it repeats itself uh, all the time. I mean, people who think they're cool today are going to look at pictures, you know, thirty years from now and go, "What was I thinking?" Well, and what I also find you know fascinating about that is that you know. We're, 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 we we all buy into it, right? So, you know, I'm doing that look. I've got, you know, the, the, the polo, the terry cloth shirts or the polo shirts with the upturned collar. <laughs> Everybody's doing that. And we all think it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, the, the girls are looking at the guys that are dressed like saying, hey, look at these. He's pretty cool. Look at that guy. And, uh, you know, the, the eyewear that we had and the, just all the styles that when you saw somebody in them at, at that time, you said, that is one, you know, with it together, hip looking person, mm-hmm. you know, you get to know that person and you see the picture later and you think, oh my goodness, why did I think that person was so together? This is a mess. So I don't know. Are we just, we, are we just at the whim of whatever the fashionistas tell us is the cool look now? I suppose, you know, it's interesting how face masks have become a fashion accessory where there's always uh, like a different look depending on the outfit you're having, which I find interesting. And I do want to talk a little bit about face masks today because if we're going to follow the science, and apparently there's a lot of people that say you should follow the science, the yep. science would indicate that if you touch your mask or adjust it while wearing it, you then have to sanitize your hands with hand sanitizer or wash them with soap and water. Well, uh, I am guilty of constantly fiddling with my face masks. Okay, so uh, the science would say you're contaminating your face mask every time you touch it. So you've got a problem yeah. with your face mask. 
I do have a problem with my face mask. <laughs> I <All right>. do. <laughs> now, I have these adhesive strips that are uh, used in the entertainment business. Sometimes they use them to tape a microphone to cloth. Mm -hmm. And this is this is magical double-sided tape. I mean, uh, remember that crazy glue commercial with the guy with the helmet? Oh, sure. Glued to the beam? Yeah. By the way, don't try that. <laughs> All right. Just want you to know that that doesn't work. Neither does new vinyl. <laughs> right. But, um, and your leg healed uh, from that incident, didn't it? Yeah, it did eventually. Okay, good. Yeah, I know it was a long haul. Anyway, so the nice thing is they're both the same, the same length now. Oh, good. Uh, but uh, so uh, this adhesive tape, I could use it to actually tape the mask on. But then I would find that the adhesive tape would be, you know, uh, annoying. It would hold the mask in place, and I don't know what it is. But the minute I put a mask on, I start to itch. Oh, yeah. I don't, I just get so itchy underneath the eyes, around the nose. And uh, I don't know if you've had the experience where you say, I have to sneeze and I don't know what the proper protocol is. Do I take the mask off to sneeze into my elbow and put the mask back on, which means I've touched it? But I don't want to sneeze into the mask because that seems wrong. So I don't know what the science says on the sneezing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm for wearing masks if it helps, of course. But I'm also concerned that if we're so specific about following the science, and the science would say you cannot adjust your mask. Now, I saw on the news uh, the other day Nancy Pelosi adjusting her mask four times within two minutes because it always falls down past her nose and she moves it back up. And I thought, well, if you truly are following the science, you can't be touching your mask like that because it's, no. it's not yeah. scientifically healthy. Not signed. And think about this. You know, when when they talk about um, contact tracing, I think they say that you have to have you know, things like 15 minutes of exposure uh, next to somebody that's that has the virus. And I realize that if you're transferring germs to your mask, that even if you just had an incidental contact, which normally wouldn't transfer the virus from what they're telling us, that you have to have 15 minutes of exposure. But let's say that you come into contact with somebody briefly, yet you touch something that they touched, and then when you touch your mask, now you are in constant contact with the virus, aren't you? Yes. And I'm just guessing here because I'm I'm no rocket surgeon. Or I know you're not. Whatever they I call think it. I meant scientist, I think. Yes, I'm. Yes, you're right. I meant. Uh, I look at listeners that will um, correct you, just so you know. Right, brain scientist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm. Let's go about. through just the mask wearing protocol for restaurant dining, though. This uh, you sent this to me, and I found this very amusing. For example, you arrive at the restaurant and you you fish a three month old single use surgical mask out of your car's filthy cup holder. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably pick part of a Kit Kat off it and then put it on, right? Guilty. I am. Uh, it's uh, you know what in my with my kids, of course. If I, if you're bringing them to a restaurant, there's always the mad scramble for what? Okay, what car are the masks in? Where did they go? And and you know suddenly you see they're stuffed in the map. You know the, <laughs> the back of the seat map pocket, and you think I don't I don't know if that's good. And we try to wash things, but uh, yeah, so it's. I have a box of the paper or whatever kind. I guess they're paper. They're not, you know, full of cloth masks. So I'm constantly handing out new ones. Okay. Well, then you're making an effort. On. Yes, but uh, I am certainly guilty of saying, here's one. <laughs> That's not too wrinkled. I don't right. want so then you proceed into the restaurant, uh, opening the door with the same handle grabbed by at least 200 people so far that day, right? Yes. Every time I grab a door handle, I think to myself, well, so much for the mask. Yeah. <laughs> because 
I'm touching a handle and I will eventually touch this mask to either put it on or take it off or do something and then reuse it again. Yeah. And then the hostess. I don't know how high you can run away from these things. Yeah. yeah. And the hostess will seat you walking past an entire restaurant of unmasked people. But because they're sitting, somehow they're okay. Well, they're in that special zone. It's like the, you know, the cone of silence when you'll get smart spirits. <laughs> I love the cone of silence. I love it. It never worked. Of course it did. This is some sort of cone of virus that uh, uh, I know. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a noggin scratcher because I remember the first time we did it, we wore our masks, and I wasn't even certain how we were going to do, navigate the, the meal. <laughs> so I thought, I'm not sure how this works. Are you supposed to take it down for a bite and put it up, which is now the recommendation by the governor of California that you keep the mask on between bites of food. So that's messy. And then when I sat down, the, the the server came by and said, "Well, you can take the masks off once you're at the table, once you are safely at your germ your germ free circular table." So that's what happened. You take the mask off at the table. Okay. So when the governor of California says, "Put it on and off between bites, move the mask up and down during bites," is he concerned about science? Because the science says you shouldn't be touching your mask, and if you're eating, you're probably touching it forty times. Uh, throughout your meal, yes. and you're not washing your hands or, or hand sanitizing between every bite. Well, and I'm you're just touching for consistency. Fire. Yeah, and I, I think you know, what we're talking about here is how difficult it is to hide from germs. Because it's uh, when you think about this amazing machine that that God gave us at birth, that fights off millions and millions of different types of germs and develops immunity to things. And, you know, we like as a kid, you get chicken pox and it's like, guess what your body did? It just developed an immunity to chicken pox forever. And you think that's an amazing machine God gifted us mm-hmm. with. And it has adapted over all these years for every various form of, you know, uh, like a, an influenza type bug. I mean, you know, did the Spanish flu go away or did we just develop an immunity to it? And that was the end of it. And uh, it didn't just go away. We probably did develop some sort of immunity to it. It's an amazing machine we have. And I don't know if we're trying to be too smart. You've seen the things where they, you know, the the stories that talk about how uh, this is before COVID, but too much use of hand sanitizer can make kids more susceptible to various viruses because there's such a thing as being so clean that their body doesn't develop an immunity to anything. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think we're going to have to find that happy medium. Yeah. Of course, you remember, you know, going to a stadium where you go through the turnstile. You literally have your hands on everything, handrails going down to your seat, and then you eat uh, popcorn and you're prying open peanuts and you're eating that. And, yeah. you know, there's like, and you somehow you survived that. Yeah. And I used to go to uh, the lot when the Raiders were in Los Angeles, I used to go to the Los Angeles Raiders football games. And so, you know, what kind of germs do people pick up from each other's necks as they're, because there were always fights in that stadium. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy when you think about what we put ourselves through just walking in the door and sitting down amongst uh, like in that stadium, a hundred thousand people. Right. Now I just want to go, I, I want to go to break, but I also just don't want to leave this segment without saying a, I think the coronavirus is incredibly serious, but oh, if, gosh, we are, yes. if we are following the science and they want us to follow the science, then there should be at least some awareness or consistency that there's no touching of the mask. Or if you do handle yeah. it, you sanitize your hands or wash them. 
but for the people um, in uh, on TV, you know, doing one thing and, and saying the other, there's just not a lot of consistency. Okay. And I will, unless we have to go to a quick break here, I will tell you my favorite thing that I, I, I see all the time in terms of inconsistency. Okay, what is it? Uh, you'll see a couple of, say, usually politicians, and they're socially distancing. They got their masks on. And then one by one, they step up to the podium, remove the mask, and then they speak into the same microphone that 17 people prior to them have spoken into. And if you know anything about microphones, that's sometimes a little bit of saliva and all kinds of germs come out of your mouth. And when you go up to that microphone next, uh, well, you've been in shows and they're very specific about each person has their own specified microphone not to be shared because they are germ factories. Mm -hmm. And I see it over and over again, a row of politicians and they come up one at a time. Look at me. I've got a mask on. They take it off. They speak into the microphone that the last guy who, you know, had the sneezes was just speaking into. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That's inconsistent. All right, Patrick, when we come back, I want to do a little analysis of a chart that uh, came out comparing some of the big cities and masking to Sweden that didn't mask. Patrick Albanese is my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. We'll be right back. Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I am back with my friend and colleague from Iowa, Patrick Albanese. And Patrick, there's a very interesting chart that came out that was talking about uh, cities and infections uh, that had masks and then also uh, Sweden. Yep. Uh, of course, they um, uh, notorious for um, initially, you know, sort of saying, you know what, we're not going to do what other countries did. And it, it's a it's a risky thing. Um, you know, but initially we were told, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve. And the the idea was, is that we wouldn't be able to really stop what was coming. But if we spread it out, we wouldn't be overwhelmed with the health care. The health care system wouldn't get overwhelmed. Uh, it's almost like saying, hey, you know, your bills are due um, the first of the month uh, and you can pay them the first of the month. And it's it's a, a big chunk or you spread them out and pay a couple this week, couple that week. But at the end of the month you're going to be spending the same amount of money. Sweden said, let's get it over with. And a lot of people felt that was pretty harsh. They said, my gosh, you're going to overwhelm your system. Well, you know, they're reopened now. And uh, in fact, I watched a video a little bit earlier today and he, somebody took it on the train and there's nobody wearing a mask and the restaurants are open and uh, they've had no mask mandate and you look at uh, the like the cities that put in a mask mandate, and the chart that I sent you gave you the date that they put a mask mandate in place. And just about all of them, with the exception of just a few, uh, are are overwhelmingly um, their deaths per million are much much higher than Sweden that never did the mask mandate. So it does make you say, are the masks working? You know, and I know it's easy to say. Gosh, you know, if it even helps just a little bit, because I'm in that category, if it helps a little bit, let's do it. And if it makes people feel comfortable, I'm okay with it. But I, the thing I, I do sometimes worry about, what happens if we find out that it's making the situation worse? That, 
I would fear. And I would too. And, you know, there's certain people that are suggesting that there be a, a mandate for masks, even in places where life is kind of resumed, that would be uh, problematic, I think, as well. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I mean, how do you enforce that? Do you suddenly, you know, uh, make the job of the police their main thing is to do oh, mask not. enforcement? I hope not. Yeah, we had a, a, a one of the suburbs out here was putting in a mask mandate and um, – they're, they didn't put a fine on it. And so if you did get stopped by the police, the police were going to give you a, ma- a mask. So I thought, well, that's a great way to get a mask, I guess. You know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think it was that the mayor of that town realized, you know, there's not a whole lot of enforcement I can, you know, put behind this. I mean, what are you going to do? Start fining all of your citizens, you know, and, and how much? What's a fair amount? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that not come back and get you later when people say, ah, it turns out that that was a bad idea and you find me, I want my money back. Right. So I, you know, I don't know. And I don't know where the presidential candidates, I, I, I've, I've heard Joe Biden say at various times he would do a mask mandate. Then I've heard him say he, he really constitutionally can't do that. And then I've heard him say that he would do it anyway. I, I don't know how that would work. I don't know how you enforce that. Or lockdowns, for that matter, for a lot of the places. Because you have some freedom of movement up in Minnesota, don't you? Mm, a little bit outside. You know, if you're outside, yeah. I've seen people, you know, walking around the lake or not wearing masks out in parks. But uh, every store you go into, there's it's a mask mandate. You well, have to we have, have to be masked to go into stores. And We had a high school baseball season you know, going way back. I just kind of, it went off without anybody even noticing that it was happening. But uh, some of the schools, you know, sort of canceled it and other schools. In fact, uh, I know of one guy that moved his kids to a whole different school so they could play baseball because the school they were in canceled it. So he enrolled them in another school. Um, It's not, not easy for everybody to do. He was able to do it. But, uh, and we didn't have a spike and my kids are back in school and, uh, we haven't had anything. It's, uh, you know, the kids are wearing face masks or shields at school, but uh, they haven't had a spike. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's a, a recent stat from the CDC that uh, the, the teachers that are teaching from home and the ones that are teaching in person have an identical rate of COVID infection. There's no difference. Wow. How crazy is that? That's pretty crazy. You know, yeah. one, one of the things I wanted to mention to everyone today is... If you have uh, lost a sibling, um, just I want you to know that it's, um, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry if you've lost a sibling or maybe even two, how difficult it is to uh, lose a family member. I've always said no matter how long you live, life is short. Um, Yeah. You you talk to people in their 90s and they they go, boy, life goes by so fast. I go, you're 91. Come on. You've lived a lot of life. But even to them, it's been fast. Um, oh, I know. So I wanted to express uh, just kind of a, a Monday appreciation for listeners that have have that have had that loss. So anyway, there I spit it out. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out a way well, to say I, it nice, but it's such a hard what, thing to share. It is. Uh, my grandmother uh, was born 1903. She was one of 13 children, and seven made it out of childhood. Mm-hmm. 
and and, and to and to to try and fathom that kind of, of loss, I, I you know, uh, I, I I don't know. You know, I mean, yesterday was my my brother Bob's would have been his sixty third birthday. Uh, he died twenty nine years ago, um, and it's you know I was younger. <laughs> I assume so. I'm no mathematician, but yeah, that makes sense. Oh yes, yeah. I'm no mathematician scientist, right, or, uh, surgeon. But um, it's you know, 29 years later, and you still think about that person, and you think, gosh, he was 34 years old at the time, and never you go, well, are you even getting going at that point in time? You're you're kind of you're hitting your stride. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, I certainly remember visually, vividly every, you know, emotionally how devastating it was for my mother and, you know, watching her over the next couple of years deal with this loss, which, uh, you know, I, I can't even imagine. And I look at my own kids, I say, I, I couldn't do it. I don't think I could do it. So yeah, people that are, are, are suffering with that, I, you know, I can't, and especially if it's due to something like a COVID, which, you know, comes out of nowhere mm -hmm. and you say, there you are minding your own business. And then somebody, you know, catches a virus that, uh, ravages them and, and takes them much too soon. It's, it's, uh, um, it's those times you do have to turn to God because you say, I have no answer for this. Yeah, of course. But, you know, they say the time, time does help. And I, I kind of agree with that, but also yeah. time isn't doesn't help all the time because think of how much you not only miss your brother Bob but how much Bob would love your kids and how much fun it would be to see Bob interacting with your kids. Oh, it'd be great! I mean, yeah. He all he ever wanted was to get married, have a house, and some kids of his own. <laughs> right? You know, uh, the, he would have interacted. I mean, my families were we we like kids, and and you know I I love that saying "time heals all wounds." I've said it to myself, and then oh, sure. I realized that it's not entirely true, though. I, you know, I think time makes you know some of the wounds more tolerable, mm -hmm. but the underlying wound is you know is still there. You know, if you've uh, my brother had so many body parts removed, you know, uh, he would often joke about, it. he's like, well, some, what am I down? A gallbladder, a spleen. I got, what, the, what are they coming after next? <laughs> you, know, you know, they pull the spleen and you go, well, the spleen's gone. Yeah. And so you can survive and you can function without that spleen, but it's not the same. Right. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I'm grateful that God has something that we eventually are able to deal with this. And it, I think a lot of it has to do with him. Yeah. Patrick, thanks so much for being with me uh, to start the week off. It's awfully nice to chat with you and to uh, have a bit of levity to get the week started. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Yep, Patrick Albanese has been my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, the prestigious town of West Des Moines. We'll come back. Pastor David Miles is in next. Monday afternoon mix with Miles, Arnold, and Maxwell. Always nice to have the team back. We were without Rebecca last week. Here she is. Yes. Yeah. Thank Here you. I am. It was so good to see you. And good I mean, to see like, you, too. you know, we, we're kind of, uh, we're like a 
three-legged stool without actually without you here we're like a four-legged stool without two Aww. and without a seat and it, was little, it was a little clumsy last week wasn't it that's it all right. was we you know but we just like missed you you Aww. know well thank so. you guys i appreciate it you're my brothers it's we, good to see you brothers we, from we, another mother yeah. exactly we touched some uh folks last week though with what we talked about uh, so that was good that was and yeah. you know one of the things that i super love it's just getting feedback from um our listening audience Mm because you guys are so very important so huge and we don't have a corner on the holy spirit so we love to hear from you guys and last week we talked a little bit about loss and we talked about um death and we talked about heaven and uh one of our listener supporters rosella just sent the most beautiful note um, as we were talking about the whole mourning process. And I want to come back to that um, because, you know, as we, last week we had a homegoing service for um, the one gal that I told you about, who Sophia Ferrant. And so I want to just note what Rosella said. She had noted that Dr. William Warden described four tasks in the mourning process. One, accept the reality of the loss. Two, Process the pain of grief. Three, adjust to a world without the decease. Four, find an enduring connection with the decease in the midst of a barking on a new life. And I, I think, thank you, Rosella, for sending that. And thank you so much, along with so many others who support the station, to see God's word go out and to impact people. Um, but I, I love the fact of Scripture that... God doesn't like, you know, he doesn't bounce around and play games. He, he, we, we see the reality of loss. We see the reality of sin. We see the reality of death. We see the reality of suffering and mourning. And I love that God doesn't say, like, empty your mind and go to fairy fairyland. He's just like, no, this is very much real. And then to actually process the reality, the pain of grief, because grief is painful. It is. And there are those today that are, you're going through a journey and it, you cycle through different emotions and they're going to come at different times and they're going to hit you at times that you, you're not expecting. And to adjust to the world without the deceased. The reality is that death does separate momentarily, especially for the believer. You know, it's momentarily. But there is this world without them and adjusting to that reality, which is part of accepting the reality of the loss as well. And then finding an enduring connection with the deceased. It's, it's okay to remember. It's okay. Some, someone might be driving right now and you're wondering, is it really okay for me to smile? Is it okay for me to laugh at that joke? Because in laughing, does that mean like I don't really care that much about mm-hmm. the person's loss? And it's like, no, it, it's okay to laugh. And even that individual would want you to laugh and to, to move on in the hope of Christ. Mm-hmm. Another dear listener was uh, commented to me that it was the anniversary of his son's death the day before. And then for us to talk about the loss of someone, and David, I think you were chatting about how if you uh, are a widow or a widower, you've got a, a title or a label, but what are you if you've lost a child? You know, you're just you're in a, kind of in a place of pain and agony and there's no label for you. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember my our son's good friend um, who passed away. He had a congenital thing. Both his lungs deflated, you know, 12 days before his birthday, nine days before his 12th birthday. And I remember his dad saying to me, like, you know, you think in your mind 
about some things like that, but the reality is you really have no categories for it when mm-hmm. you go through it. Yeah. All right, David, let's uh, talk about the word because I love the word. I can't get enough of the word. And I want to chat maybe a little bit today about what a true Christian looks like. What's, what are the marks of a true Christian? Well, let's jump into Romans 9, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12, um, verses 9 through 21. But before we get there, you know, let's start at verse 1. And so, you know, Paul, what he would do in the Word is that he'd give really rich, robust theology and then say, in light of these truths, here's how you're supposed to live. Or, like I say, have God live that in and through us. So 12.1 opens up, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so part of even getting to the part of the marks of a Christian is that part of us giving ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and seeking to be transformed by him and not conformed by the world, you know, making it our aim to say that we're living according to a kingdom ethic versus just a here and now world ethic. And what's interesting about that, and we're, we're, we're doing it right now, even here as we're sitting in the studio there's, there's two different parts of the body that are mentioned in verses 1 and 2, bodies and mind. And the only reason why I'm actually sitting in the studio right now is because my mind made and gave commands for my body to get here. I get that. I like that. You like that? And I do. Yeah. And so there's this importance of what comes in our minds. What are the things that we are thinking about? Or as I, as I said last week, we're in our spiritual formations class. We we're talking about one of the spiritual gifts of meditation. What are we thinking? About? What are we allowing to percolate through our minds? And that directs our feet. It directs our paths. It directs us how we walk in. And I think that's an interesting difference to point out between the the way of Christ and other ways that talk about meditation. And if someone's listening and they just think, it, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of background in what it means to meditate on the Word of God, that word can be used in different ways and according to different faiths and different religions. And sometimes it's exactly the opposite, right? Well, what we mean when we say meditate on God and on God's Word mm-hmm. and transform our mind isn't about emptying and just kind of allowing the feelings to take us wherever that void wants to. It's about focusing. It's actually about filling our mind with God's Spirit through His Word and so that our thoughts are, again, we're not conformed to this world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the washing of God's Word each day. Yeah, such an important point, Rebecca. And this, David, this point you made about you, your mind um, made it possible for your body to get here. You know, that's, I want to pause and just think about that for a minute because, you know, after spending, you know, decades and decades in gyms, you know, powerlifting and stuff and, and weightlifting, and sometimes you go, look at this guy versus this guy, and you go, well, that guy's mind says he can bench 300, and this other guy's mind says he can't, and they look at, to be about the same size. Yeah. And you go, how is it that one guy who doesn't look any stronger than the other guy can bench a lot of weight and the other guy can't? Yeah. Now, there's obviously training and physiological steps and progress that they've made. But in this guy's mind, he says, I can do that. And for the person who says, I can't do it, 
your body reacts and says, you're right, I can't. And so, like, you know, we would say, like, uh, like as it's now football season again and they're letting things, you know, letting kids play and saying, you know, it's not the size of the dog but the size of the fight in the dog. Right. Kind of that mindset. That's why people fear wiener dogs. <laughs> I thought I was the only one. No, people are very afraid of wiener really? dogs. Oh yeah. Are you guys playing with me? No, we're not. No, they're very they're very ferocious animals. There's a wiener dog phobia out there? No, I'm not saying there is. There's you know, it's it's the size of the fight in the dog. Right. Okay. All right. You don't mess with wiener dogs. Those you dogs don't. are feisty. <laughs> they are. Yeah, they're great. So meditation, like what is it? And so meditation, it focuses on con- contemplating the things of God. Like we're really just thinking about um, you know, I, I don't. Rebecca could sing this as well. You know, when I think about your holiness, you know, I worship you. How's that but called, it starts Rebecca? off. Go ahead, Rebecca. Help us out. Oh man, this is a bad day for me. I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> more <laughs> don't reason make to me sing. <laughs> more, more, more reason to do it. Well, then. you know, they want to hear that from you more yeah. than they want to hear it from us. But that part of when I think upon the Lord, when I think about His holiness, when I think about His you know, loveliness, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you. And it goes on to say that. And then the chorus leads into, I worship you. But why is it that we worship him when we think about, you know, and my daughter will say to the kids, you know, the old computer programming, gig go, garbage in, garbage out, you know. And I guess if you want to gig go in a good way, God in, God living out of us. Mm-hmm. So meditation, it focuses on contemplating the things of God. It, it focuses on listening um, for God's voice and seeking to, obedient, to be obedient. So it can involve us slowing down, finding a quiet place, and asking God to speak to the innermost parts of ourselves. I like what Richard Foster says uh, in Celebration of the Disciplines. He says, in contemporary society, our adversaries major in three things— Noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he is satisfied. And so um, one of the things that I enjoy doing in the morning, I have to make sure I go to bed at night, but sometimes getting up super early when it's quiet and just sitting in darkness and just sitting in silence, you know, and just sitting there like, you know, if I... I'm wise enough to go to bed, getting up early, early. And it's like everything's so quiet. And the other day, I was just sitting and listening, and God just laid some really, you know, neat things on my heart and spoke wisdom. And I remember, like, one of the things that he was showing me was something I had a question about. And I was like, wow, Lord, I said, I hadn't thought of it like that. And so, but busyness keeps us away from that. And meditation says, slow down to bring your mind under submission to him. Yeah. It is kind of an act of faith, isn't it? Because busyness becomes that idol that separates us and says, if I'm not doing something, well, then I'm not worth anything. And it's a substitute. It's yeah. a substitute for being worthy or for being productive or being any of those things. But if we could say, I trust God enough to be still and to allow him to reform me from the inside out yeah. and to empower me to do what needs to be done, I will have time. He's he's the Lord of time. He's going to give me enough time to do what I need to do according to him. And naturally, one of the things as we talk about meditation, you know, because as believers we're called to test every spirit and think through it, we sometimes say, oh, meditation, it seems like an emptying the self of mind, emptying of self and mind, like many Eastern 
religious meditation practices. But no, what do we always do? We come back to God's word. And Psalm 1-2 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And if you notice there, that verbal progression, it starts off with walking and step, then standing, then sitting. And then it goes, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do uh, prospers. And so the person who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law of the Lord. But he doesn't just stop there. Psalm 48, 9 The psalmist says, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Okay, well, PDM, that's a couple of, well, let's go again. Psalm 1997, oh, how I love your law. I, there's the M word, meditate on it all day long. And lastly, for this example, there's other places, Psalm 143.5. I remember the days of long ago, I meditate on on all your works and consider what your hands have done. And so that's an example biblically of what it means to meditate. It's for us to sit and think upon what God does and has done in our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus's reflex was always scripture. I mean, he was meditating on it all the time. And any, any question he'd be asked, he'd respond with, like in, in the, when Satan was tempting him, it, it is written. He kept yeah. responding with, it is written. His, his thinking always came first. It's what he was thinking of meditating on. Yeah, so now it then catapults us into verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Well, one of the reasons of us not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to and with sober judgment is if we're not if we're not being conformed to the world's values of what matters that we're basing our worth upon that but instead we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds we can not basically say like your pond scum you know like think wrongfully i mean you are you're an image bearer god made you in his in his image he sent his only son to die for you You have infinite internal value uh, in his sight Um, but with sober judgment and each according to the faith. And then he goes on to unpack just different gifts that God has given. And so, you know, as we head into this conversation, um, when we come back looking at, at marks of a true Christian, but it reminds us that we are members of one body, even though we have many members to it. And Mm -hmm. so when, when our, thinking is transformed by God, it helps us to see that we're interdependent upon him, and God's made that for a good reason. I like it. We listen to the Monday Afternoon Mix. We'll take a short break and be right back. Monday afternoon mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. Marks of a true believer. 
we're, we're chatting about today. David, you set that up well. Let's get to it, my brother. Oh, very cool. When we hop into Romans, and for those who are catching up with us right now, we're in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And it starts off with a series of participles. It says, let love be genuine. And I mean, like, really, we could sit on let love be genuine for just a, an, amazing, an amazing amount of time. Um, I'm reading a, a fascinating book for a evangelism cohort that I'm doing with some other pastors and churches for uh, the, the free church called I Once Was Lost by Doug Everett and um, Doug Schlaup. And one of the things they talk about these different five thresholds about uh, people who have come to faith. And the first one was trusting a Christian, you know, trusting a Christian, becoming curious, opening up to change, seeking after God, entering the kingdom. But just the importance of trusting a Christian. And one of the things that the authors actually, and I hadn't planned on this, you know, we jumped into this, but they, they would talk about how they could just, people who were seeking after God could smell kind of a fakeness. And so it's interesting that Paul says, let love be genuine. Um, and our and our love, you know, the Bible says the world will know us by the love that we have from one another. Um, and that's needed right now. So this whole passage is really needed today. Um, Walter Kim, the president of the National Association for Evangelicals, put an article on Christianity Today on evangelical witnesses compromise. We need repentance and renewal. And that just came out. That popped up in my box this, this morning. And one of the things is for the world to see the transformative love of Jesus Christ that we can't muster up in and of ourselves to be lived in and through us for people who are seeking because they're wanting to... Uh, they're seeking Christ, but they also, through these thresholds that Schlaup and, and Ever talk about, it starts off by trusting a Christian. And how's that happen? We have a genuine, genuine, genuine love. It then goes on to say, besides that, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And we have to be careful that we don't so truncate evil to only the things that we think are evil. Um, someone says, you know that you've made God in your own image when he hates all the same things that you do and all the exact same people that you do as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then we, we've done that. We have to realize that sin is sin. Like sin put Christ on the cross. And like for a perfect and holy God, all sin is immoral and holy and uh, it's uh, it's a violation, as Grudem says, in word, act, thought, and deed of the moral law of God. So, so marks of a true Christian, let love be genuine, that we actually abhor evil, those things that are evil, so we don't call that which is good evil and that which is evil good, and we hold fast to what is good. Oh, you guys, what a time for that is right now about holding fast to what is good because there's an inclination to throw everything out the window. Really uh, good things to think about, David, this whole idea that people first need to trust a Christian before they might trust Christ. That's kind of a interesting thought. Uh, and of course, it's probably true. You have to have someone who's come into your life that you find winsome, attractive, truthful, loving, and then you're willing to hear more of what they have to say. And and I think in that way, we're ambassadors of Christ in the realest sense. I mean, if we look at Jesus' interactions all throughout the Gospels, that's that's everything. 
That is the majority of dialogue that we see is Christ interacting with other people who came up to him with a question, with a problem, maybe to challenge him, maybe a need. Mm-hmm. And they w- interacted with him because he was so different. Mm-hmm. He spoke with authority. He had power. And yet he had time for them. He had a love and a care for them. And if we can be marked in that same way, I mean, we are truly ambassadors of his love for the world. And sometimes it appeared convenient for him, and other times it looked quite inconvenient to him. Yeah, basically when someone has to grab at the hem of your robes because yeah. the crowds are so bad, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty inconvenient. But he, he, that, was his, that was the moment to display his power. So pretty yeah. awesome. And, you know, in the story of the woman with the issue of blood who touched Jesus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, like, like reading Scripture through just various points, like number one, think he stopped and had just such a dedicated focus on this on this woman who had spent everything and the whole you know like for us in our time we're like issue of blood like what's the big deal no that like a person had to be put out of the community because they were seen as just unclean she was isolated and they were she was isolated and she had tried everything to do that but the ways that jesus looked at her had compassion on her and then even then he restores her not only in health but to community in the midst of that, while at the same time putting Jerry's daughter, she dies, and there's people at the house. So the ways that like Jesus really um, poured himself into people and walked into things, and that's one of the things, guys, is that it's kind of like Gandhi said. It's like, you know, I love your Jesus. I just don't necessarily love those who claim the name of Jesus. Um, but a, a number of people, when they read about Jesus, unbelievers, they're just kind of really blown away, like, whoa, I didn't. You know, the times I've had people say to me, like, I didn't know that was in the Bible, you know, is really profound. And so us taking time um, to let love be genuine. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, right now uh, in a time where people are trying to outdo each other and taking shots, you know, and one up one another, like, Right now seems like a really difficult time, but it's also a time to even make Christ even more countercultural, you know, in the time that we're living in. To not be slothful in zeal, being fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. So you might have a coworker that literally is driving you nuts, and the Lord is asking you to love that person. And, okay, now Bill and Rebecca <laughs> and looked at each, each other. other. <laughs> We're going to take an early commercial break. We're going to do a little counseling. Um, Why is my mic not working? (laughs) It is now. (laughs) But think of sometimes in the ways in which the Lord might actually, in healthy ways, have you serving that person. And sometimes people are resistant to the gospel and resistant to Christians because they've been hurt by them. You know, um, crazy enough for, for my story, the power of the gospel was in the fact that you know, I had a really good friend one time, and we had always talked about being in each other's wedding. And his wedding came. It went. I wasn't asked to be the best man, and he was going to be mine. I wasn't even invited to the wedding. And uh, it was kind of like, what in the world? And so after Promise Keeper 1997, Stand in the Gap, I was going to Chicago, got a phone call. He's like, hey. Uh, and I'm like, hey. He's like, can you stop by? So we had dinner. And we talked, had dinner. Dismissed his family, and he said, what I'm about to tell you, my wife just found out on Friday. And he just looked at me and said, Dave, you know, 
on the day of my wedding, I was looking out and the Lord came and had a conversation and said his name and said, what's missing? And he said, without hesitation, I said, Dave. And he said, you know, Dave, I didn't have you at my wedding because I was afraid of what my future in-laws would think of me having a good friend who was black. And this is a guy who helped lead me to Christ and discipled me in high school and in early parts of college. And the ability to forgive and still love and move on, it was painful, you know. But one, for him to even come and say, hey, this is what happened, I'm sorry. A lot of people say, just brush it off. But that's the part of the gospel. And the gospel to even begin to forgive, our world doesn't really operate that way. So when we do operate that way, it points to the beauty and majesty of the gospel. That's the Monday Afternoon Mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. David, thank you for being here, and Rebecca as well. Ooh, yes. Rebecca had to be here, but you made an extra trip, <laughs> special trip to get here. Well, one last thing. I'm speaking about forgiveness. So last week I shared a story of God showing up in the gospel real powerfully, and I shared a little bit with my daughter. She told me it was okay, but I told her still I was going to apologize to her because I didn't fully get her permission to share that. So, Sweet. Taylor, I love you, uh, and I'm sorry. Uh, what a nice dad. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll come back. Uh, Vince Miller is going to be with me in hour two. Be right back.